Lord, thank you for this night already. God, it is well with my soul because you're here with us, Lord. Thank you that, God, you pay the highest price for us. And God, that brings me so much comfort. And I know I'm loved by you, Jesus. And so love us here tonight. Speak to our hearts. Draw us closer to you and help us to stop, God, running from you. To stop making excuses, God, but to truly lay our hearts before you and come to you. So I pray you'd bless your word tonight and anoint it with your Holy Spirit. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I came across this story. There was this wealthy woman who is obsessed with her status, you could say, in high society. And so she decided to have a book written about her herself and her family history. And so she wanted to kind of show off her like Haimakamaka lineage, her heritage, you could say. So she hired this professional biographer to write it. But in his research of her family, uh, he found that there was this one, like, quote-unquote, black sheep in the family. And it was a great uncle. The woman asked the biographer to uh, write him in, still even being in that place, but to hide the truth that he was actually a convicted murderer who was executed by the electric chair. Well, when the book was finished, the woman was pleased to read this, and this is what she wanted. Uncle George occupied a chair in electronics in one of America's best-known institutions. He was very attached to his position by the strongest of ties, and his death came as a real shock. <laughs> one way to write that story, right, and cover it up. Well, today, as we continue our study in the book of Acts, you know what? The real shock comes when the accusations of the Jewish religious leaders that were brought up against Stephen were actually what they themselves were guilty of. And Stephen exposes it all in his defense before them. And he ends up uncovering what's been covered. And that's the title of our message, uncovering what's been covering, covered, and it's, this is part one. It's a pretty long chapter, and so we're going to split it up, and I, I wasn't sure how far I was going to go, but we're going to do part one uh, this week, part two next week, and the week after that is a worship prayer night. So uncovering what's been covered, part one. We're going to be studying Acts chapter 7 from verse 1 through 50. Acts chapter 7 from verse 1 through 50 tonight. Now, there's four things we're going to find here in this chapter, and we're going to only see half of this. But this is our outline. Uh, this is the points. Number one, the history of rejection. That's going to be from verse 1 through 43. Number two, the history of ritualism. That's going to be from verse 44 through 50. Number three, the history of resenting. Uh, verse 51 through 54. And number four in our outline is the history of repeating, verse 55 through 60. So that's what we're going to see this week and next week. But today, tonight, we're going to be looking at two things. Uncovering what's been covered, part one, the history of rejection and the history of ritualism. 
So we're going to only get so far to verse 50. And you're probably thinking, verse 50? Yeah, we're going to be here all night. Sorry. Yeah, no worry about sleeping tonight. No, just joking. (laughs) We're going to move right along here. So let's begin uncovering what's been covered, part one. Let's begin here. Number one, the history of rejection. The history of rejection. This is going to be most of our part here tonight. We're going to be looking at verse 1 through 43 in this section. 1 through 43. But first of all, let's begin with verse 1 of Acts chapter 7. So it reads here in verse 1, And the high priest said, Are these things so? We'll stop right there. Now we begin here with Luke, of course, the writer. He's putting down this account of what happened. And so what happens is this high priest now addresses Stephen. So when he says, and when he writes and the high priest it connects us to what we saw last week and what we studied here at the uh, end of acts chapter 6 now if you remember in verse where a couple weeks ago we saw in verse 5 stephen was a grecian a greek jewish believer he spoke greek he's from an area of, 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 of that spoke greek but he's in jerusalem and he's speaking to uh, uh, these Greek Jewish religious leaders of synagogues, these Grecian Hellenists, remember we called them. And remember Stephen, verse 5, was one of the seven that were chosen to help the apostles. The apostles couldn't do everything, uh, uh, teach, study, take care of the ministry, uh, give the, 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 uh, to the widows, you know, give them their needs, their daily needs and everything. So through the Holy Spirit, Uh, They chose seven guys full of the Holy Spirit to be able to help the apostles out. So Stephen was one of them. And you remember in verse 9 now, these Grecian Jewish religious leaders came and debated Stephen. I mean, he was was so uh, wise and full of the Holy Spirit. Remember, uh, God was using him to heal uh, of people. And, and he was such a witness for the Lord that they targeted him. They came in trying to debate him about Jesus Christ and whom he was preaching about. Well, they didn't, they couldn't win. So in verse 12, back in chapter 6, right, uh, they took him into custody. They hired some guys to say false things about him. And, and, uh, uh, and so they took him into custody and they brought him before the Jewish religious council, the high council. They're called the Sanhedrin, uh, 71 members there with the high priest. And so basically he was brought before them and this was a hearing where all the charges were brought against him. And this hearing happened. And if you remember uh, in the uh, last chapter, they, they were charging him and accusing him of blasphemy, right? Against God, he was blaspheming God, he was blaspheming uh, Moses is blaspheming the, the law of Moses and even the temple. So they accused Stephen go, coming against really their main things of Judaism and what they believed in. So here all the accusations came out. These false witnesses came forward and said, Stephen did this, Stephen did that, and all this. And, and then now it's his chance. As we come into chapter 7, the high priest who's, who's running this whole, whole uh, hearing so he looks at Stephen basically and says, so what, are these things so? And in other words, he's saying, look, um, is this really uh, what you're doing? Is, uh, it's time for your defense. Now, as we come into chapter 7, Stephen is allowed to give a defense. And before we go on, 
let me just remind you that Stephen here is a very important person in the book of Acts. If you remember, I mentioned that. He's like the transition of God's work. With this stoning, he's going to die and be martyred at the end of chapter 7. The church is driven out of Jerusalem. The all-out persecution breaks out on the, on the believers there. And as many believers fled, they took the gospel out to where they went. And so we will see the gospel goes from Jerusalem, where, it's, where we've been, out to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Just as Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would do when they, he comes and empowers them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So... Stephen is here standing before the council as we come into chapter 7. And, and I also believe that Stephen was a very important part of Saul, who becomes the apostle Paul, how he comes to be saved in Jesus Christ. And we're going to see him mentioned later. And so here we come to chapter 7. This is Stephen's defense. This is, this is what he's going to say. It really turns into a message for the whole council. You can imagine, these are the high makamaka guys in the Jewish re- religious leadership. Yeah, They're the high priests, they're the Pharisees, they're the head guys, there's elders of synagogues. This is like the, the high court, the supreme court of Israel. And he gets to share a message. And in this chapter is this message, and it's actually the longest message in the book of Acts. This is the longest chapter in the book of Acts. It's the longest, but it's very, very powerful. And that's what I want to put into your minds. All right, so the high priest here in verse 1 says, look, are these things so? In other words, what's your defense now? What are you going to say to all these things that were mentioned? He's been accused of blasphemy to God, the law, Moses, the temple. And so most of chapter 7 is Stephen's defense here. And understand this, as we get into this, Stephen is not fearing for his life here. He's not nervous, but he's actually trying to reach the guys there. So as we read this, understand he's, he's not like being critical of them. He's not coming down, but, but in his logic, in his message, he is actually trying to reach them for Jesus so that they may see their own sin, that it may be exposed, that they may repent and come to Jesus Christ. So that, that's the, kind of the heart behind what's going on here, chapter 7. All right, so how does Stephen now witness Jesus Christ in his defense before the Sanhedrin. Well, let me give you this. It first starts with the history of the Jewish nation through Abraham. It starts with the history of the Jewish nation through Abraham. And this is what we're going to see from verse 2 through 8. Verses 3 through through 8. Take a look with me here, here. It reads, And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, verse 3, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession to what his offspring after him, though he had no child. 
And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge that nation they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac, circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. We'll stop there. Okay, so Stephen here, he starts with uh, these two words in verse 2. Brothers and fathers. In other words, hey, fellow Jews. I'm a, I'm a Jewish person too, right? They, remember, they came against him, accusing him of blasphemy against God. But he starts saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm like you guys. Yeah, I may be a Hellenist, a Greek-speaking Jew, but my heritage is still Jewish. That's my race. That's who I am. And then he says, fathers, like in respect to his elders, his leaders there. So they're the leaders. They're the fathers right now. They're the leaders of the nation. So Stephen comes right in with respect, not, not coming down on them, but saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm like you guys. And so with that, saying that, well, look, I'm, I'm with you. He begins with Abraham, which Abraham, remember, is the father of the Hebrew race, right? It all started with him. So he goes on here saying, saying that, hey, brothers and fathers, hear me, the God of glory. Now, when he uses that term, he's really encompassing everything about God, all his attributes. He's just saying, you know, the Lord God, basically. The Lord God that we worship you know he's speaking of of all who god is and he says look he's the one right that we believe that called abraham guided abraham to come out of his land to go to a land that god promised him he's the one who who promised that through abraham and that's what we read here that god would raise up a nation even though abraham didn't have kids and we know the story in genesis right that god gave him eventually Isaac, and that's what we read at the end in verse uh, 7 or 8, 8 here, right? So here's, here's Stephen like, like revisiting, saying the history of the Jewish nation through Abraham. And, and, and he even added here when he said in verse 6 that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. What is that? Egypt when they were bond slaves in Egypt. But God says he'll judge the nation and that after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. Where? They'll, they'll come to the land of Israel where God had promised. And also uh, he talked about circumcision. That was their identity, uh, uh, that they were separate to God in that way and identified them as God's people. So here's Stephen now. He, he starts with this history from Abraham going through this and what we read, how we went out, the promise, everything. Uh, um, there was, he, he, but he never uh, was given that land. Well, it was later given, right, to the Israelites. But he followed God in this promise. And so Stephen starts with this history to establish that, look, I'm an Israelite also. I come from this lineage. What I'm telling you, I'm one of you guys. And, and basically he's saying, look, I'm not a blasphemer, 
blasphemy of God. I don't blaspheme God. I'm, I'm like you. I worship God. I'm part of this race. I'm part of, I'm, I'm one of you guys. You know, in Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul addresses the, the, the Jews who believe this, that so their salvation was based on their heritage. And so you can see that Stephen is coming in this way. He's, he's kind of coming in and talking to them at their level where they stay. You see, they love to talk about their heritage. They love to talk about, yeah, we're sons of Abraham, our father Abraham, because they believe because they were Jews that they were saved. Our salvation is because of our, our heritage. We're from the line of a- Abraham, so we're saved. We follow the law. We're, we're, Moses is our, our prophet. We follow Jewish customs and rituals because, you know what, that, that's who we are. Our, our identity is this, in that circumcision. We belong to God. And so you have to understand, during this time, these religious Jewish leaders, they loved to talk about their history, because that was their salvation. They loved to recite their Jewish history, where they came from, their lineage. It was, it was like a badge of salvation, of who they were. They're God's people. Yeah, everyone else isn't, but we're God's race. We're God's holy nation, right? And it's almost like to me that as, as Stephen's saying, well, you know, Abraham this, and Abraham did this, and he came out of the land. And remember, they were, the, the people were in bondage, but God brought them out. And, and from Abraham, even though he had no children out of him, God, he was the father of Isaac, right? And, uh, and then Jacob came out, and Jacob and then from, came the 12 tribes, the 12 patriarchs, the 12 leaders of the tribes. And you go, here the guys in the council going yeah amen yeah yeah you know yeah that's right yeah we're god's people yeah we're the ones we're the ones i like this because stephen comes in and he tries to establish like look i'm like you guys he doesn't stand up and condemn them and put them down for their lack of belief in jesus christ no he starts in like look i'm a jew like you guys i'm i'm like you and, and I'm not against you. Look, well, well, we come from the same thing and the same thinking here. I think that's the best approach in witnessing. Like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm a sinner too, you know. Hey, I'm, I'm weak too, but you know what? Jesus helped me. That's the way for us to witness, right? Not putting people down like, oh, you're, you're, you're such a sinner and you think you're higher than them, but we all come from the same place, right? We're saved through grace, right, by faith. Elizabeth Elliot once says, I'm not better than anyone else. Jesus helped me. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. I love that. That's our attitude. And I think, here's Stephen. He comes and he starts with the history of the Jewish nation through Abraham. What? Why? To open their hearts up to the gospel. To open their hearts up. To find some common ground that, look, all these accusations that I'm against you guys, I'm against, you know, God, the temple, everything. No, no, it's not true. Look, look, I know the history. Yeah, I've been raised in this too. And he starts going all the way back and doing what they do in their proud heritage. But here is Stephen coming in with common ground. So he starts with the history of, of the Jewish nation through Abraham. Now, as he goes on, though, secondly, he comes... He, he comes to talk about the history of Joseph's rejection 
by his brother. So he goes on like what we uh, study way back when we were studying Genesis. So here look at verses 9 through 16. 9 through 16. So he says here, Stephen goes on and says, And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, remember the patriarchs are the 12 mentioned in verse 8, the, the 12 brothers, right? Uh, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family uh, became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and Laden in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamer in Shechem. All right, now Stephen goes on to talk about who? Joseph, yeah. And he's a key character in the Old Testament. So he brings us up how the patriarchs, now understand uh, they're the brothers, right? They're the heads of the 12 tribes. Out of them come 12 tribes. They're the fathers of the 12 tribes. Now, understand that in this time, Jesus' time and Stephen's time, that all the Jews could, uh, uh, they could, track their lineage back to which tribe they were from so they were very proud of which tribe they were from so that's why stephen here uses this verbiage like the patriarchs yeah so you, you guys know you know what tribe what, where we're from our patriarchs there yeah so the these brothers right they were jealous of joseph remember he had a coat of many colors here's the favorite favor and they didn't like him and so they ended up remember throwing him in the pit selling them to the midianites some slave traders who ended up selling them to potiphar who served egypt you know and the pharaoh and everything so he was sold into egypt but i like this god was with him i love that just stop Maybe underline that for you tonight. Whatever you're going through, even if your family's against you, God is with you, just as God was with him. And God rescued him out of all his afflictions, right? And we, we understand, right, how he ended up interpreting the dream of Pharaoh, and, and he ended up being second in command next to Pharaoh, the, uh, and uh, that dream was about the famine coming. So we know the story, right? So they stored all the grain under Joseph, and when the famine came, there was enough food for everyone, and, there, and then people came from all over to Egypt to get food because of the famine got so bad. And in addition to Joseph's family the brothers came right and got some food went back we know the story and, and finally they came back again and as it says here in the second visit in verse 13 joseph made himself known they all cried that we, we know we know the story here so here's stephen uh bringing this out and talking about how the family uh, survived this was how god uh saved the israel right they could have died in the famine but god had a plan in all of this with joseph using joseph to to save 
Yeah, the family, and they all came and lived in Egypt, and that's how they got in bondage later, but we're going to see that in a moment. So here's the thing here in this passage. God used Joseph. God used the rejected one, right? Joseph was the rejected one, right? God used the rejected one, Joseph, to save the nation of Israel. So Stephen's bringing this out. Now, this is interesting because Stephen, telling the story to the Jewish council now, he's starting to paint this picture. And he's starting to show a picture that what we see in Joseph is like what happened to Jesus. And I think this is amazing. Uh, just as Joseph was rejected, so it's a picture of Jesus being rejected, right? Jesus was the rejected one. But God used Joseph to save a nation. Well, God used Jesus to save the world and the nation too, right? As, as their respective patriarchs, right? They're the heads of the tribes, the brothers here, turned on Joseph. So is the leaders of the nation. They turned on Jesus, didn't they? And notice here in uh, verse 13, I, th- I think this is interesting. Well, verse 12, it says, um, uh, the, uh, on, they came on a first visit. And remember, we know the story that Joseph didn't reveal himself to the brothers. But verse 13, on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Now, I think that's interesting because just as Joseph revealed himself on the second visit, you know what? On the second coming of Jesus Christ, we know the Jewish nation will definitely recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Zechariah 12.10, the second part says, When they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one uh, mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. They're going to know. They're going to see. And just as they wept. I think that's amazing. And so here's Stephen leaking these things out. So that painting this picture so that they may begin to see the reality of Jesus Christ through their own history. You know, as Stephen talks of Joseph's rejection, I think though we have to be careful because you and I can be blind and reject Jesus too. I think we have to be careful that as God works in our lives, we can be blind to that. We can be blind to what God may be doing and push Jesus away. So be careful. We're, I mean, we're just as guilty, aren't we? Many times, you know, God's trying to do something. God sends someone. God, God, but we end up rejecting Jesus. And that's what we see here. In this history, the Joseph's re- rejection, right? We see it's just like with Jesus. So the first thing we, uh, Stephen brings up here is the history of Jewish nation through Abraham, the history of Joseph's rejection. The third thing we see as we go on is the history of Moses' rejection by his own people. The history of Moses' rejection by his own people. Here it's going to be from verse 17 through 37. And uh, let's go ahead and read that here. 
I told you we're going to go faster, but um, we, most of you know the stories. But Verse 17, But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. The time of promise was when God predicted that they would leave Egypt, right? And, um, and it said, Until there arose over Egypt, verse 18, another king who did not know Joseph. Remember the story. Uh, uh, Joseph, the Pharaoh died off, a new Pharaoh came in, Joseph died, uh, all that. And then what? They became bond, in bondage. They were bond slaves, you know, to Egypt, right? Making the bricks and everything like that. So they, they became slaves. They didn't have that higher status or favor anymore. And so here's what's going on. So verse 19, he dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive it's talking about pharaoh right pharaoh and throw right throw the babies in the river or kill them when they're born all the male babies well verse 20 at this time moses was born and he was beautiful in god's sight and he was brought up for three months in his father's house remember his mom and dad hid him and when he was exposed pharaoh's daughter adopted him brought him up as her own son we know the story put it in the little little ark Thing, and he went down the river and Pharaoh's daughter, oh, oh baby, oh, right. And Mir- Miriam, right, came and, and, oh, you want me to find a Hebrew woman to nurse him? Yeah, yeah. And there'll be the mom, all this. So Moses basically then, after he was nursed, grew up in Pharaoh's palace. And he became what? Like the movie says, a prince of Egypt, right? So then verse 22, and Moses was instructed in all with the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words indeed. So he grew up like Egyptian, basically royalty. Uh, verse 23, when he was 40 years old, he came into, it came into his heart to visit his brothers and children of Israel. So remember, he, he, he learned, and, or maybe he knew, but of his heritage, that he was actually Jewish from the lineage of Abraham. And so he, he wanted to go and see his brothers there his fellow jews verse 24 and seeing one of them being wrong he defended the oppressed man avenged him by striking down the egyptian he killed this egyptian guy he supposed that his brothers that the other jews would understand that god was giving them salvation by his hand but they didn't understand and on the following day he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them saying Men, are, are, are you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Remember, he saw a couple of Hebrew guys fighting, and then he tried to break it up. And no, no, you guys shouldn't do that to each other. And then Moses was exposed that he actually killed another Egyptian. So what did he do? He ran. Remember, he fled. In Exodus, the story, verse 29, at this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became a father of two sons. Remember, he went out there, became a shepherd, got married, Zipporah, had kids and everything there. He, he fled over there and hid out there. Now, when 40 years had passed, think about this. He was 40 years old when this happened. He spent 40 years in Midian. And now 80 years old, then comes the call of God. An angel appeared to him in the wilderness, verse 30, of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. Now the angel, we're, we're talking about the angel of the Lord, which is, uh, uh, we believe it's a, a, a 
Christophany, a theophany, a, 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 the Lord appeared before God. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your slippers from your feet, your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. Now, uh, now come, I will send you to Egypt. So that, remember, that was Moses' call. And remember, at first he was hesitant. Oh, I can't talk. Really? Why can't you send someone else? No, I'm going to be with you. I'll be in your mouth. I'll put words in your mouth. He still resisted and said, well, look, Aaron's going to come, and he, he's going to help you. He'll, he'll speak for you. So, so here's, here's um, Stephen telling this whole story, the rise of Moses, how he's called. Now, interesting, verse 35, this Moses now, this guy, Stephen says, remember Moses, we know, right? Whom they rejected, right? When, when they first rejected Moses, when uh, uh, he tried to break up the two guys fighting, saying, who made you a ruler and judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. It was this guy, verse 36, that led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt, right? Parting of the Red Sea, all the plagues, and at the Red Sea in the wilderness, for, and led them in the wilderness for 40 years. Verse 37, this is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brother. So here's Moses, first of all, who was rejected at first. God ended up raising him up to be the leader here. And so here again, the rejected one was actually the one God called and used to lead Israel out from the bondage of Egypt and through the wilderness. You see what Stephen's putting out there? And then he puts in there, which is from Deuteronomy 18.15, verse 37, this is the Moses who told the Israelites, hey, God's going to raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. From, from the Jews there, from our race, which is a reference to, guess who? Jesus Christ. It was a prophecy of the Messiah. And all the Jews know that. Everyone in this council, these scholars, these Pharisees, these rabbis, these elders, the high priests, they know Deuteronomy 18.15, what, what Stephen is quoting here, is a messianic prophecy. So here's Stephen kind of kind of leaking in here look yeah here's another guy moses yeah that was rejected but god used the rejected one to lead the nation and you know what there's another prophet like him that's gonna rise up and i think he's inferring that this prophet is going to be rejected also by his own people and so here's stephen yeah repeating yeah that look Someone who's rejected, and this is by his own people, ended up being the one God used. You know, um, even to this day, many Jews, uh, Jewish leaders say that if Jesus was our Messiah, we would have known it. And back then, they were saying the same thing. They're saying, if Jesus was really the Messiah, we would have known it. God would have told us that kind of stuff. But here's Stephen trying to paint, paint a picture that, that the people 
who were under the bondage, remember they were praying for God to deliver, deliver, and God said, I, you know, I heard their prayers. They've come to my ears, and so I'm going to send you Moses. They send, God sends Moses, but they, they actually miss Moses. He had to kind of, remember, had to, uh, he did some miracles, but then uh, remember Pharaoh like said, okay, no, uh, make bricks without straw now, and they got mad at Moses. They even rejected him in that. But God kept using Moses to where they saw that he was the one. And so here is Stephen kind of putting out their so it is with Jesus. I was thinking about how people in this world may reject Jesus. But you know what? The second time they see him, they're going to end up Believing in Jesus because it says in Philippians 2 that every knee will bow and, and acknowledge that Christ is the Lord. So we need to not reject our Savior, but fully embrace that He is our Savior. All right, so first, Stephen says the history of Jewish nation through Abraham. Second, the Joseph's rejection. Third, the history of Moses' rejection by his own people. And now, fourthly, the history of the rejection of the law of Moses. So here's, um, this is verse 38 through 43. Let's take a look at that here. It says, this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. So it talks about the Ten Commandments. When Moses received that on Mount Sinai from God himself. And then verse 39, our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust pushed him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. So remember, they rejected God's law. And how was that? Well, verse 40, saying to Aaron, while Moses was on the mount meeting with God and receiving the commandments, they said, Aaron, it's taking too long. Moses is gone. So make for us gods, verse 40, who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to, the, to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Raphon, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. So uh, Stephen's kind of scrunching in this, the, the history of what happened there. But basically, he's talking about when remember when Moses was receiving the law, the Ten Commandments, down, you know, the mountain in the camp of Israel, they made that golden calf, right? They started worshiping the calf, and they took their clothes off, and they're just having a crazy party time. And then Moses came down, what are you guys doing? Oh, I broke the tablets, remember, and everything. People repented. Then later, uh, back up the mountain, Moses, you know, brought some new tablets and, and, and all that. But that, this is what Stephen is talking about, that, that here God gave these living oracles, the commandments of God, the word of God, the truth of God. Yet the people of Israel rejected the law, rejected. Even though God brought the law to them through the history, even in the wilderness, and after they went 
after God, uh, other gods and idols. That's what he's talking about here. Um, uh, didn't the prophets like prophesy against them like in verse 42, you bring me slain beasts like sacrifices. Um, you, you do all this, but, but you still go after like the tent of Moloch. Remember um, the god of Moloch, they would uh, sacrifice babies and all. That this was a pagan thing that Israel actually uh, adopted. Um, your god, Raphan, is a star god they would um, worship too. And so remember the Lord said, because of that, you're going to be taken over by Babylon. You're going to be exiled to Babylon. That was when Nebuchadnezzar came. The nation came down. Finally, that was it. And I told you this before when we were studying Daniel even and some of First Kings that after the Babylonian captivity of Israel, it healed them of idols. It, it really did. They, the nation never went after idols after that. So here's Stephen now uh, bringing up the law. Now, notice, remember, he was accused of what? Blaspheming God, blaspheming Moses, blaspheming the law. And so he says, look, I'm for you guys. Look, let's talk about Abraham. I'm part of that too. I'm not blaspheming God. Then, then he talked about Joseph, um, and then he went to Moses. Look, I don't blaspheme Moses. Look, I'm, I respect that. Let me tell you the story, and you guys know, da, 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 right? And then Stephen's here. Look, I don't blaspheme the law. Matter of fact, Israel, our forefathers refused to obey. Look what they did. They blasphemed the law. Our, our, and he's like saying, look, you guys, our forefathers, they were not so holy, you know. They were not so perfect. You, you exalt them. You say, yeah, I'm part of that line. But, hey, they had their moments, you know. And, and God gave them over. And that's why there's the Babylonian captivity. So your forefathers actually blasphemed God. They rejected the truth. And they went after the idols. John Phillips, when he wrote in his commentary, he's talking about uh, the angel is the incarnate Jesus. He, he said this. He it was who gave the law to Moses. Thus the scriptures were delivered to Israel. Now I like that. Because we got to remember the Ten Commandments. Uh, when Moses came down to also what, what we read in Exodus. And all the uh, procedures and laws. But the Ten Commandments, the law. It was God's law. It was God's word. It was the truth. It was like scriptures. It was scripture. And they rejected that you know god has given us our bibles right this is scripture yet do we cherish it do we really you know put weight on this do we value it or do we put it to the side and we have our own idols that we go after don't we we have things that come in between us and god and and his word and his word's not not that important what's the first commandment in the Ten Commandments, right? You show what? No other gods before me, right? That we would, and then no carved idols too after that, right? So, so is God, does God have that place? Or is there something between us? If there's uh, number one in your heart, in your life, in your love, in your worship, if there's anything else other than God, then it's an idol, you guys. We've got to keep God there. And we're no better than the Israelites that we're reading about here. 
Jesus said in John 14, 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So let's not be like these guys. Let's learn from it. Say, no, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I got to keep Jesus first. He's my God. I worship only him. And let that worship be important in your life. Coming to church, seeking God in the Word, worshiping Him together, praying together. It's important. Yeah. He's, he's the one we worship. All right. Well, let's go on quickly to number two. We saw the history of rejection, all of this that we just saw. And now we go to number two in our outline, the history of ritualism. And I want to get to this and then we'll get to the other headings next week. But in covering what's been covered, this is what Stephen is, is exposing, the history of the rejection of the people, the history of ritualism now. This is verse 44 through 50. 44 through 50. And we'll read these verses. Verse 44. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it with Joshua when they this possessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands as the prophet says. So as we come into these verses, now Stephen is talking about how our fathers, right, the, the, the fathers, uh, uh, the guys who went before him, uh, they had a tent of wilderness in the wilderness a tent, tent of witness in the wilderness. And what was that? The tabernacle. Yeah, Moses, and in the daily reading, I'm reading all that, how God's showing Moses how to make the tabernacle and put it together. It was the temple. It was a portable church, basically. Portable church building that traveled with them as they journeyed in the wilderness, and that's the tabernacle. So Stephen's talking about that. Like, look, remember in the wilderness, they had the tabernacle. God directed Moses how to make it. And then the, the fathers, yeah, are also the Israelites, our fathers, are, they brought that with Joshua into what? The promised land. When they finally came to the land, uh, that dispossessed the nation, other took over the land, uh, it was there. And it was there in the days of David, in verse 45. Uh, who found favor in the sight of God. And then remember, David uh, asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob or the Lord God. So remember, David wanted to build a house for the Lord, but he couldn't, too much blood on his hands. But the God said, look, your son will. So verse 47, your son Solomon, that's the one who built the temple. Now he's moving into this temple now, Stephen talking about. Remember one of the accusations against Stephen was you blaspheming the temple. You talk about, you're putting down the temple. It's about destroying it. But here Stephen says, no, look, I respect it. Here's the story, right? We know. And, but then he adds this. Solomon built a house for him. But in verse 48, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. So, so when Solomon was dedicating the temple and he was first built, Solomon said this. He, he said this in 1 Kings 8, 27. But Lord, you, you, you don't dwell in, in, a, in a house. You're God. You can't, you're, it's not like this is, your, you know, uh, this is where you're locked into. And then verse 49, Stephen actually quotes uh, Isaiah 
66.1 to support it, saying, heaven is my throne, the Lord talking, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all things? In other words, God cannot be contained in one place. Now, Stephen was accused of, of, of blasphemy against the temple, but he comes in saying, look, you guys, you know, you revere the temple too much. It's become like this idol, basically. Like, well, this is, this is where God is. This is God. This is the place. When, when, when they were confining God to or that temp, the temple, confining him there, there, you know how? Through the rituals, right? Remember all the Pharisees, they, they would do whatever they wanted. They, they would sin everything, but we're Pharisees. And they're, they were hypocritical. And they go to the temple, give their sacrifices, give their prayers, all that. It was all a part of their ritual. But then, yeah, in their own heart and they're at home, and they, they do crazy things, you know. And they'd hide under all their traditions and rituals. And so they were confining God to just that temple. And it seems like, um, look, you guys... I mean, if we look, he's saying us, right? Well, uh, Jews, we look at our history. We, we have a history of ritualism here. God's saying, look, I'm not confined in this. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm everywhere. But we think the ritual, oh, well, well, that's enough. That's it. The temple, the temple. That's why it was so important. It represented all the ritualism. They had a history of ritualism. And this is what Stephen is bringing out. John MacArthur says the temple was a symbol of God's presence, not the prison of his essence. I like that. I really like that. They had put God into that box. And in that box, that temple, the box was all their rituals, all their quote unquote religion. And they thought that was enough. And so Stephen's like bringing out, look, I may be accused of blasphemy against the temple, but you guys are also because you're putting God in a box and the temple isn't everything. I guess we could say for ourselves tonight, many times we put God in a box, don't we? A box of ritualism. We constrict how we work. We constrict on how, how God's supposed to work. If I do this, God, you got to do something for me like this. We constrict like, well, if I go to church on Sunday, then, you know, rest of the week, I'm okay. I could do whatever I like. As long as I go to church Sunday, then I'm okay with God. But that's not the way. Yeah? It's a relationship we have with God. And even in our faith, right? We constrict on how God works in, in how we think this is the way it should be. And, that, and so it was with the Jews. They did with their customs, with their rituals, thinking that, well, this is the way. And in those rituals, in that constriction, when Jesus came, Jesus didn't fit into their box. And so they rejected Jesus, and they missed Jesus, and they attacked, really, what God was doing. So we got to be careful. We don't box in God with our own thinking, our own way, but we see what the Word says. We see what the Word says. Well, we got to close up here, and um, I'm, I want to... Sh- uh, quote, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor during World War II in Germany. And, and when the whole Nazi Hitler thing was going on, and he stood for God and went to jail. Anyway, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. 
In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. And I, I quote this because think about this whole Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious leaders. And here's Stephen trying to share Jesus, trying to get them to see, hey, look, we didn't have it right. He, but they like their position. They like their power. They like the wealth that they have. And so for them, sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. It doesn't want to be exposed. We like a little world how we like it. And really that's what was going on, why they rejected Jesus as a whole. But I like what Bonhoeffer said. In the, I mean, it's sadly, but it says that in the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. God comes and reaches out to us. He turns on the light. But what do we do? We hide. Jesus said men love darkness more than the light because their deeds were evil. When we hear a message, when God speaks to us, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, we need to respond when it's exposed, when our sin is exposed. If not, it's going to poison us. It's going to poison us, you guys. God's trying to reach these guys through Stephen. And you know what? God is trying to reach you and I. He's getting down to the heart, what's deep inside of us. And if there's things in this passage that are speaking to you, you know, respond to God. Because God is the one who's reaching out. Because he knows you through and through, right? He knows what's deep inside. And he knows how to save you and rescue you. I'll close with this. Years ago, a Cincinnati newspaper reported how a poorly dressed woman came into Dr. George Herman asking for an x-ray examination of her heart, but she asked if she, he could do it for free because she claimed she was poor, had no money, and couldn't pay. So the doctor said okay and did the, the work. But when he saw the results, when he was looking at the results, he noticed below the heart, was actually a coin purse that she was carrying, and inside were five $20 gold pieces. So when he went to the woman to talk to her and sat down with her, he said, first of all, your heart is very bad. Then he said, you lied when you said you were poor. I say this, God can see our heart and the problems we have inside. But he brings us to the light, to not condemn us, but to save us. And that's what we see here. That's why God is a God that is uncovering what's been covered. Let's pray. God, we bow before you, and maybe through this message, we, you've exposed things, God. The light is turned on to our own heart. Uh, how we reject you god and we try and cover it up how we say that we're so good and and holy and godly but in reality we're not we 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 cover it we hide it we hide it with our religious acts our ritualism when in reality we need to repent and to confess our sins and as you expose them say god i am sorry help me Forgive me. 
Lord, many of us are in bondage, just like Israel was in Egypt. And we need a Savior. We need a Deliverer. Jesus, only you can do that. And I ask God that you would as we come before you. Lord, I pray for those who are caught in the habit of sin, Lord. Habitual sin, things that they can't shake. and They do good for a while, but then come back and fall. That uh, one week is good, another week is bad. Whether it be anger or, or whatever it is, Lord. Uh, help, help us all, God, to be free. Because Jesus, your truth sets us free. And when he died and rose again from the cross, Lord, you conquered it. You conquered our sin and flesh, and we can be free. And I believe in you, God, right now. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to free us. God, I pray for those who need freedom, and as they call out to you, may you do that very thing. Free them, God. Free them right now. Lord, as we come before you, and perhaps we have been doing our own things, uh, rejecting you, rejecting messengers that have come that you sent to us with your word. We know it. We know as you talking, yet we still turn away and do what we want. Lord, forgive us. We repent and we want to come to you and listen to your words and respond. God, forgive us for the idols that we have set up, God. Interests, things that, Lord, we have more passion for than you, and that's wrong. You said, set no idols before you. Set no other gods. And Lord, we've fallen. And God, we want to cast down those idols, Lord. We want to give you our heart, soul, and mind and strength as you asked us to love you in that way. God, right now, this is it. Lord, there could be idols of maybe material things or money, position, power, our career, God. Maybe even hobbies or sports that we do, Lord, but we don't want them to be idols, Lord. Maybe it's idols of ourself. We're more concerned of our own convenience, Lord, and our, our laziness of what's in it for me and self-gain. Those are idols, too, because we set ourselves up. But, Lord, we don't want idols. We want you. And we know... There is no rest. There's no peace. There's no contentment, Lord, unless you are number one in our lives. So forgive us as we cast ourselves before you and we ask for your mercy and grace and we come to the cross and we ask for forgiveness as we, Lord, humble ourselves. God, and as we lay ourselves before you, forgive us, cleanse us, pick us up. Help us, God as we give our life back to you once again. Let us be the living sacrifice that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.